You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians podcast. I want to do a quick shout out to our great sponsor, Built Bar, at the top of the show here. Um, you heard me talk about them. You know about them. We'll talk about them more later. On today's show, we are going to talk about my mock. That's right. I finally released it. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, cheesed off to uh, keep this uh, family friendly. I was, I'm trying to, it, it takes me a long time to write these. Like if I sat down and put all the details I like to put in, it's something like 12 hours to write. So I thought, oh, you know what? I can just talk about the mock and do a video series. Well, unfortunately, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what software to use. Um, YouTube was giving me all sorts of issues. I couldn't do just like a direct thing through them. And eventually I found something that seemed to work. The only annoyance was uh, even when I programmed pause into it, the pause wouldn't work. And then without me realizing, it was picking up multiple mics. Now, I don't know why you would ever want to have something doing a solo record, picking up multiple mics in one sitting, but that was apparently its default setting. So um, last night I was up to about two in the morning and I did every pick through uh, the White Sox pick in round two. I kept going because, you know, I did the the first set I did and I got uploaded and that was fine. I came back later and I did the second set of 11 and then it was an Indians pick. So I wanted to do that. And then after I got through that set, there was another Indians pick. Um, and I wanted to do that. And then all of a sudden I had done four of them. They reach about 15 minutes long and with setup and everything else, I was just trying to power through and the, uh, long and short of it is they all had uh, echoey sound. So I deleted them and I will have to go back and do them again. Cause that was, uh, horrible uh so instead of getting to hear go and find those videos about why i did what i did uh we're going to talk about the mock today on the podcast the baseball draft is in less than a month the indians have three picks in the first two rounds and it's an important draft for them in that regard that there's only five total rounds the indians are going to get a chance to make six picks Uh, it's a team where the draft is the lifeblood so they are really going to be hurt by the changes to the draft that are occurring this year and possibly going forward as we see them kind of cutting down on the draft and when we talked about in the what if 2006 episode the indians had five or was it six picks in the top 100 and they didn't hit on any of them they didn't get any value for their team for those picks where they did find value was in the teens the late teens is where they got guys who eventually helped their organization so and that is exactly i mean you, you go through and we talk about like the francisco lindor 2011 draft um a lot of their value in that one was again more day two day three uh their second round pick they didn't uh, have anything to show for it i mean they've they've struggled with second round picks in general over the years uh it's actually kind of like the area the indians are the worst at is picking in the second round and that is historical going back um a long time it's like you have kipnis and bell and not much else but uh let's let's dive into this mock i went 72 picks deep that takes us all the way through day one of the draft i did a day one mock let's get into what i did with the indians the indians first pick in this one is pick number 23 overall the pick I have for them is Carmen, now I'm going to butcher the name, I hope my pronunciation listeners are still out there can help me later, uh, Mladzinski, Milad, I'm going to have to, I can do some scouting via ESPN, I plan to use the plus because they do have some games on there for some of these guys uh, where I can sit down and watch, but he is a right-handed pitcher from South Carolina. Now I know many of you would be surprised by this, um, and if you watch the video you're going to hear some overlap in what I have to say, because they've been so prep heavy the last two years, 
Um, last year it was the prep arm, uh, Daniel Espino. The year before that it was actually Bo Naylor, again prep, but then they had two other high picks. And it was with those two picks, they went with Hankins and then they went with Lenny Torres. So they had back-to-back picks that were uh, college or college prep arms, high ceiling guys. So why, why CM here? Well, the one thing I paid attention to a year ago was the Indians' drafting approach definitely had a sh- distinct shift to it, and that was they went cape-heavy. They went for guys who had really strong capes and then guys who kind of had down junior years. They were looking at, basically, it's like, okay, we liked them in the cape, and then their stock took a tumble during the year. We don't care. The Indians really seem strongly set on their board. Like In some respects, they're a team who's set up to maybe be more successful in a draft like this because they don't seem to... Yes, they will obviously look at what players do this year, and that can change things, but they very much seem to stick to their board and then take whoever that was the player who was highest in January, not necessarily who is highest in most places in in June. So a guy like uh, Maladzinski, coming off the Cape, I think he was either second or third in strikeouts, which has been a a really good indicator over the past few years of breakout success. Uh, Three above average pitches. He's just not been able to stay healthy, and he didn't really have a chance to show anything because he was not fully healthy and didn't look great out of the shoot this year at South Carolina. Uh, a guy who had some top 10, at least top of the first round run before the season began. And now he's kind of slipping on boards. He's more of kind of that tier three arm. But if you're the Indians and you are a team that is so, so, so Cape heavy, he makes a lot of sense. He looked really good on the Cape. The potential there, um, the ability to develop him, you just have to hope he can stay healthy. They have not been, you know, they took Torres, they took Espino, and those are guys that people expected to get hurt just with some of the, the mechanical stuff. They're not afraid of that. Uh, so, again, if they trust the Cape, and I feel like the Cape is going to be even more useful to the Indians than even the year before because it's now literally just about all they have for some of those college kids. Um, with Mladzinski on the board, I think the Cape influence will, will appear right there. Sleeper is Nick Bitsko. Uh, he reclassified just in time to not get a chance to pitch. If he had graduated, um, he would have been eligible. So he reclassified to graduate early. So if he graduated in 2021, as originally he was on uh, track to do, he would have then gone to Virginia or been drafted out of high school. Uh, But if he had gone to Virginia, he would have played two years and then been a draft-eligible sophomore. Now, since he's graduated early, um, if he does not sign with the team, he will go to Virginia and be draft-eligible in 2023. So his draft position out of college is the exact same as if he hadn't graduated early um, because of just the way his birthday falls and his how he would have been a draft-eligible sophomore instead. Now he won't be eligible until he's a junior, which puts him in this position where, I mean, he left early from high school. I think it was because he wanted to sign this year, and it is a very weak um, prep class at the top. Uh, a lot of questions and concerns there. So I think he was trying and hoping to take advantage of that. Um, because he reclassified he's one of the younger players in the class which does fit the indians model and they have gone prep heavy so if he's on the board he does also make a lot of sense if they decide to go with the prep route instead my question to you is what route would you go with built bar um we've talked about built bar so many times on the show um i got my cafe mocha banana german chocolate cake and um Alfie Tallman, uh, you know, I'm blanking on the one that I described as my favorite, though. The banana one, which was not in the sampler one, is quickly becoming, I think, my favorite now. 
Built Bar are what's I love about them and why I'm using them every day for breakfast and then every evening is kind of my evening snack is they're filling but they're so many protein bars I've used over the years are you know you're chewing or they're chalky or it just feels like my jaw is just gonna hurt these are not these are these moist bars that um help they are low calorie low sugar high protein high fiber they're healthy the way they are made is uh, allows it to be kind of a not kind of it is a moist enjoyable bar as i've talked about being gluten-free these things are fantastic for me this is the best bar i've ever had and i will stand by that that's not just me saying that i've already done one reorder after their um, sampler box and i'm likely to do another one because again it fills me up um i enjoy eating them and there's so many different samples to try and things to uh to go out there and look at like i'm curious and my next one's probably going to be uh mango as part of my multiple uh bar order i'm always switching it up they're doing new designs new flavors all the time and that makes it for me also really fun to see what's new so remember we're going to go over to builtbar.com use that promo code locked on to get ten dollars off your first order and again if you're someone like me who likes just a simple protein bar in the morning these are the best tasting ones i have had our other ad today is from 24 life stories and lessons from the say hey kid this is a reflective and inspirational memoir of the great great willie mays who's going to share his inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field you know, one of the greatest players and athletes in all of baseball, Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. This special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and co-author John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite players on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of sports fans' favorite living legends. You can buy the book wherever you get audiobooks i is anyone else as i was going through that you know talking about willie mays that you know he's talking with the author john shea and when you get down to it like willie mays is kind of infamous as one of those guys who ended his career like with a team where we're all kind of like oh he no he's a giant but his he ended up going to the mets in 72 in his final year in 73 he was there as well so it, it's funny that the author is John Shea, Shea Stadium, the Mets. That's ranted his career. Um, the guys who you think of as one uh, team, and then they kind of, it's its always like, who are the players who had the oddest final stop? Uh, let's throw that out to talk about through the week. To me, it's always going to be Willie Mays. Uh, but how? who else is out there? Who else do you think about uh, who had an odd random stop to end their career? Who's the, the Indian who should be remembered as an Indian, but instead uh, ended his career at another stop, had a final season or two elsewhere. It is kind of crazy, though, just speaking of Willie Mays, when you pull this up <laughs> at age 40, like he led the league in walks at it with 112, 425 on base percentage. Uh, how about the fact he missed his entire age 22 season because of military service, which I'm assuming is the Korean War, and then he comes back at age 23 and you know, hits 345, 411 on base, 667 slugging, a 1078 OPS, uh, 175 OPS plus. Uh, everything but the on base led the league. He did lead the league in triples, and his 41 home runs might not have led the league, but what a number. 
I mean, just go look at those. It is crazy. You know, we talked about some of the great players of the game. It's the guy who led the league in home runs multiple times and stolen bases multiple times and also walks. Uh, Just such a complete player and talent. Let's talk about this mock some more. Sorry, Willie Mays was my favorite player as a kid. I just kind of glommed onto him, so I had to take advantage of the opportunity to talk about him. Let's talk a little bit about Tanner Witt. So I have him at pick 36 to the Indians. Before I really dive into Tanner Witt, um, who is committed to Texas, let's talk about the guy who I have as my sleeper there, and that's Jack Schuster from Wake Forest. He is a left-hander who was looking good to start this year and is another guy who excelled in the Cape. So that is, you know, again, that's going to be a theme for me with the draft at the Indians this year because they clearly put so much value in that. It's, uh, again, you can never have enough lefties. He's performed well. Uh, Performing well at Wake is a a positive indicator on top of everything else because Wake is a band box. It is a hitter's dream. It is a horrible place to pitch. So when you are someone who's been able to be successful there, that also brings more value. But let's talk about uh, Tanner Witt. He is uh, the son of the Marlins high A hitting coach. And if you remember a few years ago in day three, Corey Holland, who they took, was the son of a hitting coach. That is something the Indians like. Uh, so there are the bloodlines there. We have talked about that a few times. Uh, on top of that, he's not going to turn 18 until after the draft. He'll be 17 on draft day. Again, Indians have that... Uh, love of players who uh who are young for their class so that also makes him stand out between the bloodlines the father of the hitting coach the young for his class the other interesting thing just in general with tanner witt is you know he's six foot five he's 200 pounds he's a big kid good velocity but there's been more and more talk about him as a hitter and the power potential there uh, I think right now I would probably grade him the top two-way player in this class, and I could see a team going either way, viewing him as this huge right-handed pitcher who's uh, young for the class and you can develop, or that he is going to be this monstrous power hitter uh, who's going to be a middle-of-the-lineup potential guy. Uh, for the Indians, I could see them, like I said, drafting him and going either way. I think that he is a, a really interesting prospect. I think he fits what they go for. I think this is about his range for value. And Tanner Witt to the Indians, again, bloodlines, age, uh, if you want to look at just power, both as a hitter and a pitcher, that's what led me to uh, put Tanner Witt to them. I realized earlier I said Jack Schuster. It is Jared Schuster, so I'm going to apologize for that. Uh, So I talked about how bad of an environment it is for a pitcher. His first year, he worked out of the pen, mostly 34 innings and a strikeout rate over eight, but a walk rate over five. Then he comes back in 2019 as a sophomore. He does pitch, uh, start 12 games, 15 games overall. Strikeout rate jumps to over 12. Walk rate is 4.9. Home run rates over one both years. His hit rate takes a big jump. This year, out of the gate, four starts, 26.1 innings. Now his, the previous year he had 68 innings. So in four starts he was, you know, more than... uh, he, he was lasting a lot longer in games than we had seen previously. Ten, uh, nope, that's not right. 14.7 strikeouts per nine, 1.37 walks per nine. That is a huge drop, and the home run rate is down to 0.34. And again, when we talk about the situation at Wake where that is just a you know, a hitter's paradise, I'm not surprised nor am I scared by the home run numbers. 
but I think Schuster is certainly someone you want to pay attention to, to the Indians. The improvement, the low walk rate makes him someone that, that could really stand out. We've talked about the Indians and how they do like those pitchers who have lower walk rates. Uh, in the Cape, he had 32 innings and only five walks, so there was some definite improvement even out there um, where he showed some of those skills. A uh, kid from New, Be- uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts, cold weather arm, it could be coming together for him. So I, I think he is certainly someone to keep an eye on in terms of the Indians and what they might want to do in the draft. Now let's jump into the round two. Now I didn't do sleeper picks here. Um, when I was looking for the Indians for round two, they're picking 56th overall. I was trying to think who would make sense. Uh, Gage Workman was one of the guys I kind of considered in terms of, again, young for his class, power potential up the middle talent. Jared Jones uh, has some of the velocity and um, natural upside if they're looking for a uh, prep arm. The other prep arms, Alex Santos, Mason Wynn, uh, also were guys I considered there. Petey Halpin and Carson Montgomery if they'd slid down a bit more would have been other names for me to consider. But I ended up going a little bit off board. Uh, I was doing this with my buddy, Taylor Blake Ward. Uh, We were going through it after I'd already done it, and he was kind of surprised by this pick, but I think it makes sense, and that is Zach McCambly from Eastern Carolina. Not Eastern Carolina, Coastal Carolina. And he is a cold-weather arm, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania kid. Went to Pocono Mountain East High School. Uh, when I used to live in New York, I passed that area often driving back to Ohio. And you look at his career at Coastal Carolina. Uh, seven starts, 18 games as a freshman, 48 innings, strikeout rate of 9.25, walk rate of 4.62. Next year, he has a 22 games, 11 starts, 10.16 strikeouts per nine, 3.61 walks per nine, home runs per nine did jump to over one this year. Only four starts, but 11.52 strikeouts per nine, walk rate is 2.52, home run rate 0.72. So the numbers were getting better every year in categories, the way you want to see them go. On top of it, he is someone who is young for this class. He has really good spin rate data, which we also know is something the Indians are definitely looking at. Um, they like the that spin rate. They're target pitchers who who have that. And as a, a cold weather arm from a smaller program, um, he has never been a full time starter. Uh, he was one of those guys who's kind of looked at as could be a breakout this year. That maybe there's more velocity. There's more everything with him. But you're looking at the. He can also, you know, the the secondary pitchers are well developed. Um, it all comes together to pitch it for me to see a guy who I think just fits the Indians mold. I could also see him being the Indians pick in round three um, and him possibly sliding down. It's an interesting class in that regard because I really don't know how it's going to work out. Like I just decided to pull up Fangraphs the board just to look at a list of names because I was curious and they had McCambly at 98. So that's significantly later than I had him. But it's I look at that list and I look at guys like Ian Bedell who we talked about who also makes a lot of sense and is an Indians pick, the really young Missouri arm. Uh, you go through and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about someone like Joey Weimer at Cincinnati. And we just didn't get that exposure at that time. And it's really affected my ability to scout Hugh Fisher out of Vandy. I haven't talked about it feels like in forever. And when you work on this mock as I'm going through, that's what makes, I think, in particular this year just fascinating to me is 
this was a deep class. This was the deepest class in a few years. The pitching class in particular was extremely deep. If you are smart with your money, you can get five prospects or six prospects. The Indians can get six legitimate prospects. You know, they're not a team that typically has gone for a bunch of senior signs. So their last senior sign was Adam Scott. And yes, he got a little bit more in your typical senior sign, but he looks like a potential future major leaguer as a left-handed reliever. Um, I would be a lot more bullish on his future if we didn't have, you know, the changes to the bullpen rules. But still, they're a team that typically likes to kind of spread it around. And in a draft like this, where they're going to have six picks over five rounds, I think we'll see them do that even more, um, especially because it does them nothing to save money. I believe, I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you have extra money left after the draft and signing everyone, you so... Like you can only sign free agents for twenty thousand dollars. It's not like uh, a few years ago when the Reds had some extra money left and T.J. Friedel, um kind of jumped a little bit higher on the radar, and the Reds took what they hadn't spent and went out and signed him. Or sometimes you see teams do that with players who go out and excel in the Cape. There's a few guys when I was going through Cape stats who jumped out at me. Uh, and when you're looking at all of that, that's why the Indians. It's going to be an interesting draft because it is. It is how the Indians stock their team. It is a good draft. There are so many arms. There's a lot of talent. It's a little light on college hitting depth, and we're going to hit that wall quickly because I think from everything I'm hearing, teams are going to go um, very, very heavy in terms of college bats early on, so I'll have to pay attention to that. But uh, who are some other names to pay attention to? Well, Zach uh, DeLoca from Texas A&M, uh, another guy, not a great sophomore or freshman year, but had a really strong cape. Um, is it Nico Cavadas or Nick Cavadas, maybe a uh, first baseman power hitter from Notre Dame. Doesn't quite fit the Indians profile in terms of what they typically draft, but another big cape performer. Uh, so let's talk about three last Cape performers to keep in mind. Uh, local player Seth Lonsway at Ohio State, draft-eligible sophomore, did not play as a freshman there, and that is why he's a draft-eligible sophomore. He is a lefty. He can miss some bats. He was having a good start to the year. Um, teams were checking him and uh, Dylan Dingler out on every Friday because both of them were potential first-rounders. First-rounders. Uh, so he is a lefty, a local kid. So it kind of fits together. I mean, again, they have not drafted an Ohio kid in a while, so maybe it does not fit at all, but I wanted to point it out. Uh, Logan Allen, they could be super confusing and take the pitcher out of Florida International. He is another lefty with good control numbers and really strong performance in the Cape. Uh, All seems like things that would point to him making a lot of sense to to them in that regard. He was a pretty well-received player um, as a prep player as well before he ended up. I thought for sure he would draft because, you know, nothing against... FIU, uh, but it's not a, a huge program, and he was, uh, you know, pretty well scattered out of high school. Last year, he had uh, some limited performance uh, due to injury, I believe, and this year, limited performance. Numbers were really good. I mean, you look at the last two years, strikeout rates over four, walk rates under three, but just not a lot of innings to show, and that's why that cape uh, really helped him out. I believe... No, he's not young for the class. Uh, I thought he might have been, but that's not the case. But undersized, lefty. They could have two lefty Logan Allens, and that could be fun for all of us, right? And then the last guy is someone I have not really heard heard anyone talk about. I was kind of curious. I was looking at, like, the best prospects from the Cape by Baseball America because I was struggling to remember who it was I put in my mock uh, with a 30, my way-too-early mock to the, uh, the Houston Astros at 30 when that pick still existed. 
And I wanted to look because I knew it was based on a really strong cape and some really interesting numbers. And I could not find it because 24-7 kind of uh, took down all of their baseball stuff. And that player that I wanted to talk about was uh, Shane Muntz, the catcher out of Wake Forest. You know, we talked about uh, Jack, not Jack, Jared Schuster. Apologize again. But uh, Muntz is a cold weather guy, uh, originally a Pennsylvania kid. When I say cold weather guy, I'm typically referring more to their high school and earlier days. So Muntz is 6'4", 235, right handed uh, batting and throwing. He was a 36th round pick of the Padres back in 2017. We talked about that Wake is very hitter friendly, but even stating that um, last year, 14 home runs, he hit 313, 477 on base, 674 slugging. He struck out 27% of the time, but he did walk 21% of the time. Really high bat pip, 392, which is a good sign of positive contact rates. Then we go down to this year. He only had 18 games. It's 58 at bats, 276, 408 on base, 517 slugging, uh, four home runs before the season came to an end. Uh, a catcher who's got some developmental stuff going on there, some walk rates, some bat pips, some interesting data. Um, I thought he could have a huge year for Wake and really break out, and that's why I kind of put him to the Astros, uh, much like when they took Corey Lee a few years ago, the catcher out of Cal. It didn't get a chance to happen, so... Instead, Muntz could be one of those guys, maybe as a fourth-round pick, maybe as a fifth-round pick, just name to keep in the back of your head. The Indians always like to add a catcher or three in every draft. They're still a little bit light on catchers, as after La Vestida and, of course, Bo Naylor. There aren't too many other guys that really stand out amongst that catcher's group, and the upper levels are really barren, so they could continue to develop that position. So keep Muntz in mind. I want to thank everyone for listening, rating, and reviewing. I hope you enjoyed this draft edition of the podcast. We will get more and more draft-heavy as we get closer to that deadline. I want to thank everyone who has dropped a review, told a friend, done anything to help our numbers get up. You are all awesome. You are all fantastic. Thank you for keeping the podcast alive. This has been Jeff Ellis, and as always, Go Tribe. And if you want to find my mock, in case I forgot to mention it at the very beginning, it is MLB Draft Now at I'm sorry, mlbdraftnow.blogspot.com. Thanks.